and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 44. We've been bringing you a lot of content recently, so sorry if we're overloading your feed. And you're welcome if you're looking for more things to watch and listen to. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Santangelo. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty well. Happy Friday. I'm going to wrap this up, watch a little Copa Italia uh, Milano course versus Juve, and then I'm going to... As I was telling the guys off the top, I'm going to be golfing. But yeah, football's back, full swing. We're doing a lot of content. We're uh, you know, kind of getting to YouTube or um, have other things we're working on. But of course, the FCAs is uh, still rolling on. Uh, the voting ends the 18th. So I'm just going to give a little plug here of the ways you guys can vote. You guys can vote via their website, uh, footballcontentawards.com. And pretty much vote for us as the best new content creator on Instagram by tagging at State of Play Pod. That's our Instagram handle on the one of the posts in my pinned tweet. And of course, you can just uh, tweet at us. I am voting for State of Play Pod in the FCAs for best new content creator. Of course, Hashtag all that course. information can be found on my Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo and it's pinned. So everything's pretty, uh, pretty straightforward there. But Head over to well. that pinned tweet. Head over to that pinned tweet. Give us an, a, a vote. If we win, I think Matt will be really happy. He might even over, come over to the UK for the award ceremony. So. I think I'm just going to come in general. Today. <laughs> I'm just going to go. I've always wanted to go to London. So I think it just makes sense. And of course, if it's uh, at Tottenham Stadium, I think it'd be pretty, uh, pretty pretty fun time i'd love to win it at the spurs stadium it would mean that i'd won more <laughs> trophies at that stadium than spurs have in like 70 years which would be wonderful reese i hope you're not a spurs fan and i guess this is a good time to introduce reese chambers freelance football journalist data analyst how are you doing man yeah not too bad thank you I'd, yeah i'd like to state that i'm not a tottenham fan so brilliant uh, brilliant we'll get on you've not, you've not offended me there <laughs> did you spot uh liverpool Ah, seems to be so many Liverpool fans these days. Crazy. You're probably itching to get back, right? I'm sure you want to get you want to get to that podium as soon as possible. Yeah, I'd like to point out I've been a Liverpool fan since I was about the age of four. So I've not oh, yeah. changed my Chelsea shirt or Man City shirt in respect. recent years. Yeah. I respect that. Respect that. Um, Reece, yeah, Reece, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we kind of go into what we're going to be doing today, which is kind of profiling 10 players that you really like uh, from like a date standpoint, from uh, just players that you're bullish on uh, in the next few years that are under 23. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so um, I've been writing about football for about seven years now. I started up a just a blog like everybody else does when they're about 14 or 15, um, just writing match reports and writing about football, really. Um, and then in more recent years, I've been to university. I've worked on the student newspaper. Um, I've done work experience at places um, for anybody in the UK, Wales online, who are based in Cardiff. So I went to university in Cardiff and I began to uh, get involved a lot more with the uh, professional sides of things so to speak and I've developed a bit of a niche in data I think um, so, uh, part of my university course is looking at data in journalism and applying it so that the uh, the everyday person could look at it and try and comprehend it and I think in football that's something that's quite important at the moment as um, I'm sure we'll get on to later on when we talk about football clubs using data but, um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah something that I, I'm really interested in and I yeah hopefully uh, carry on doing so for a long time. Awesome. I mean, data visualization has become kind of like a, a hot thing right now in football Twitter, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's become a, um, I think it's become quite overcrowded to an extent. A lot of people put out content, um, like we were saying off air a minute ago, about people having a lot more free time at the moment for various reasons. Um, but yeah, it's great to see lots of people doing content. Um, I get quite a lot of messages from people 
asking for tips and things like that and I think the best advice you could probably give to someone is just to keep trying and if you're enjoying what you're doing you're going to get better at it eventually so uh, yeah just keep applying yourself and yeah especially with data visualization it can look cool um, so yeah just make sure you're using it in the right way I, I think would be quite a good bit of advice. Awesome. I think there are a lot of people that are going to come out of this lockdown period is, you know, building themselves quite the reputation and the profile in the footballing community, which is awesome to see. So fair play. And I'd off my hat to all those people that are kind of working really hard during this period to to provide loads of great content, as we've been doing, Matt, of course. Um, but uh, Reese, I, I don't want to waste any more time. Let, let's get into the 10 players that you've picked and we'll, we'll go by them one at a time the way we'll do it. I guess, Reese, you, you can choose, you, you talk about player, we'll maybe go back and forth to some questions about them and then uh, we'll move on to the next one and see where we are at the end. Yeah, sure. So um, just as a little disclaimer at the start, I've chosen, you, you've asked me <laughs> my top 10 under 23 players to look out for. So I've cho- chosen players that um, you might not perhaps be looking out for already so don't be giving me any grief on um, in the comment section or things like that because I wouldn't have cho- I've not chosen um, the likes of you know Jaden Sancho, Kai Havertz, um, Mbappe, Rashford, Alexander-Arnold they're all players that we all know about anyway so I've, cho- I've tried to choose some players that are a little bit um, different that I think will potentially become world class in um, one of Europe's top five leagues in the in the next few years so Awesome. Um, I'll kick off. Uh, these aren't in any sort of order, but I'll kick off with um, Dwight McNeil at Burnley, who um, it, f- for me is quite an interesting one because for anybody who watches Burnley or knows anything about them, they've got a reputation <laughs> being quite a defensive side. So McNeil is basically the only source of creativity in uh, Sean Dyche's side. Um, but he's a really good technical player. I think he's got quite a high development opportunity. Um, and I think he's only 20, he might still be 19, so he's still quite young. Um, and he's obviously racked up a lot of minutes in the Premier League these last two seasons. Um, he's got a lot of desirable traits as a young and English uh, player as well, so he plays on the left. But um, I wrote a piece for the Liverpool Echo a few weeks ago about um, uh, possibly becoming a, a left-back for a, hmm. a bit of a backup option for Dwight um, Andrew Robertson, um, which is a bit of a wild card shout, I will admit that. But um, I, I feel like the way um, Burnley play, he, he does have quite a lot of defensive experience, but he's also very creative as well. So mm. I wouldn't imagine there are too many different demands between being a left-back for Liverpool, which is obviously a very creative role, and then being a, a left midfielder for Burnley. I think mm. they're probably two roles that could overlap quite a lot. But I'd, I'd be interested to get interested to get yours two thoughts on that as well yeah I think Dwight McNeil is a guy we've talked a little bit about this podcast but not not too much I think he's obviously playing in a really defensive team at the moment as you state and probably like quite an aggressive pressing team one that does a lot of work off the ball um, and when they are on the ball they look to kind of go to McNeil and uh, get that ball into the box as well as use dead ball situations to their advantage I, I want to ask you that question Reese. how do you think someone who um as Dwight McNeil has a lot of uh, defensive actions currently in his statistics, if you look at his stats top down, uh, a lot of crosses. How do you think he'd fit in at a, 
a bigger club that might cross less regularly. Uh, I know Liverpool do cross a lot, mainly through Trent Alexander's um, Trent Alexander Arnold's uh, Arsenal because that's obviously a great weapon for them. But how, yeah. how do you think he'd, he'd adapt in that kind of situation where they have more possession, there might be deeper blocks to kind of break down, and there might not be so much to do off the ball? Yeah, well, this is the question with a lot of young players, isn't it? It remains to be seen how they'll develop um, and what type of teams they can be suited to. Because I think, like you say, McNeil's used to playing in a quite an aggressive defensive side and one that's used to um, counter-attacking and getting the ball forward and from corners and free kicks. I, I think he's got the technical skills of any, if any Burnley player or any player in the lower half is going to become... Um, a player who can eventually play for a top six side. I think he's got the technical attributes to to be able to do so. Um, but yeah, it depends wh- when that move comes, where it comes and who who's his manager then. Uh, things like that, I think, are variables we don't quite yet know. So my answer, unfortunately, is going to be, I'm not quite sure at the moment. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, he, he's one that stands out. Um, perhaps not on the data side a lot because obviously it gets um, lost a bit um, when you look at other wide players and players who are, like you say, about Alexander-Arnold, even fullbacks as well these days, they are registering pretty good creative numbers from the uh, wide areas. So he might be a bit of an alternative shout, but I think he's definitely uh, an impressive player who, even for Burnley standards, has shown quite good creative skill. Awesome. I think that's a, a nice start there. Matt, I don't know if you've watched much of uh, Dwight McNeil. I haven't. No, I'm not going to sit here. I did in the last podcast too, when we had a question come in about Willikar Fairness, goalkeeper. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to, you know, claim to be like the know-all for certain things. That's why we have, you know, guests like you come on, Reese, to kind of enlighten us and give us a little more insight. And of course, I know um, you know, Pet, you have a, a lot of knowledge in the Premier League as well. So um, I, I, for me, I always find it interesting to see um, which players and then that's kind of where I start usually my, my research of players right is that when you get like a little bit of a transfer rumor behind a player and they never really heard of because everyone knows Sancho to your point Reese, you know everyone knows which players are linked to the big moves to the big Premier League clubs but when you start to see like I mean like for instance like a McNeil or I know we talked about a Harry not Harry Brooks um I think there was another player I forgot the, the name's escaping from Bournemouth that we David Brooks profiled we David profiled Brooks, David yes, Brooks. David, Harry, I was Harry just Brooks literally looking at uh, episode uh, 11 of State of Play when yes. we did top 10 it's, players, uh, top 10 under 20 players to watch in 2019. Yes. He was part so of that it's, cast. It's kind of coming full circle here. But when <laughs> we talked about him, we talked about him there. And then you kind of, kind of you start to dive in and say, okay, well, what makes this guy so special? Why is he um, perhaps worthy of a move to a top club, you know, top six, which is kind of where most young players in the Premier League want to strive to get to. And then that's where you start to kind of get a little bit more of a grasp on their, their playing style and their ability, you know, and it happens quite a bit, right? You know, these, some of these players kind of go under the radar and then eventually go to a big club and you're like, wow, this, this kid is special. And mm-hmm. he can do certain things. He can maybe adapt to, uh, you know, to your point, maybe if someone in a more advanced or more uh, creative role, as, as you alluded to, Reese, if he did make a move to say like a Liverpool or something like that. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know much about him, but that's why we have, you know, Reese on here to kind of give <laughs> us and me myself a little more insight and um, advice on, on where to at least look for the next wave of young talent. Well, you've teed Reese up really nicely there because the next player I think he's going to profile is David Brooks, isn't it? There you go. Yeah, yeah it's David Brooks, um, who, yeah, maybe in 2019 he was one to look out for, but he's been injured for the entirety of the season. So, yeah. Um, he might have gone a, gone a little bit under the radar, but the reason I um, put him in is because, well, not solely because, but I'm, um, 
I might not sound it, but my dad's Welsh, so he's um, a big fan of the Welsh national team, and I follow them quite closely. And I've been at university in Wales for three years now as well. So um, watching Brooks um, in international games, he looks really impressive. And then obviously translating that to the Premier League as well with Bournemouth, um, he's, he's like one of those players that um, he just drifts in and out of the house spaces, and he's a real pleasure to watch. He might not register the the best numbers, and he might not be the player who scores. Uh, the most goals or makes the most assists but he's a real he's an elegant player who will drift around the pitch and I think he's someone uh, now with the season restarting Bournemouth are obviously in a relegation zone in a bit of bit of a rut at the moment so if he can come back and hit a bit of form I think he could be quite pivotal for them. Yeah, I think he's he's obviously been really big miss for Bournemouth. I think uh, him alongside Nathan Ake and Callum Wilson are probably the most imp- important players. And to play most of the season without one of your best players is obviously hard for any team, but a team that's battling relegation is even tougher. Anything interestingly from a interesting from a statistical standpoint that, that jumps out to you, Reese, from for him? Yeah, well, most of my um, data background has been from this season, what I've done so far. So Brooks hasn't okay. really come up, come up in much. Um, but I did write a piece about him for um, uh, Football London a few weeks ago. He was li- he was linked to Spurs quite a while ago, I think it was. I think mm-hmm. it was before he got his injury, actually. Um, and like I said a minute ago, he, he just shows up well when you actually watch him. Because I think something interesting to well something quite important to note is that data can be great but data is meant to lead you to watching a player rather than just saying um player x has registered 14 key passes this season or whatever um so yeah he's one of those players that i don't often watch through the data i just would rather choose to watch and try and maybe switch off from trying to analyze football in a data sort of perspective but uh, what I've got written down here is I think it'll be quite interesting to see what his next move is because if Bournemouth do go down I think he's he's way too good to be playing in the championship Mm, mm. Um, but then obviously Bournemouth aren't going to let him go for cheap so I'm not sure a place like Tottenham will be the best move to go next I think they've got a lot of players in attack similar attacking positions that probably will fill the role he'd, he'd like to fill but um, maybe if Leicester could be an option I think that sort of club if James Madison does move on mm. um, developing under a manager like Brendan Rodgers who's already developed quite a few young uh, British talents I think that would be quite um, quite an interesting move but yeah it, it remains to be seen how Bournemouth do this season they could they could well stay up and he could be uh, playing in the Premier League next year with them so yeah we'll just have to wait and see with this um, unpredictable restart that's about to get underway <laughs> We'll have to wait and see. Uh, excited by the the next guy that you're going to profile, though, Reese, as, as a big Arsenal fan. Yeah, Bukayo Saka. Um, I'm, are you excited about him? Because I've got, I've um, I've written about him a few times about his uh, contract issues with Arsenal at the moment, um, and he's obviously out of contract in uh, 2021, so it's only a year away. Um, and I think his future development does depend quite a lot on what happens. Does he stay at Arsenal? Or does he? I think he will stay at Arsenal and sign a new deal, but um, there are question marks at the moment over where he'll be playing his football in the coming season. So yeah, I, I think all the, all the all the noise that's coming out of Arsenal from all the kind of Arsenal journalists and the people who you know might have more information than myself and yourself are, are saying that he he is most likely to sign. And also, there's been a few teasers from social media, him posting like a highlights reel of him uh, as an Arsenal player, and also. Um, 
uh, <laughs> and also the Arsenal Twitter account like posting about him etc so I think there's been a few teasers it's just obviously I think as a football club from a financial standpoint uh, you probably want to be forecasting your your cash in a non-COVID situation where things get a bit more to normal so I think most clubs are going to be you know, waiting as far as they can until they give new players. But I'm pretty confident he'll stay. I hope it's not yeah. a bad situation for Arsenal. No, I think he will stay. I think what will be interesting is that he's, from this season, he's developed quite a good relationship with Aubameyang, hasn't he, down the left? Um, and I think a lot of his creative numbers have become have come as a result of Aubameyang's presence and the fact he's getting in the box and Saka's mm. um, either finding him or finding someone else. So, if Aubameyang does move on, or when he eventually does, if Saka could develop a partnership with Martinelli down the left, I'm not sure how uh, Arteta sees him developing, but mm. he could easily become, I think he could become a midfielder or a winger as well. Like well, that's the says. interesting thing, isn't it? Because apparently in some of these preseason friendlies, he's been playing as a number 10. Yeah, I, I, I think with a lot of academy players, like he's only 18 years old, isn't he? So yeah. a lot of these academy players... Um, or at least all the academy players I, I've um, researched in depth, they play several positions when they go through uh, the academy system. If you're a defender, you'll play mm. across the back four. If you're a midfielder, you'll play um, in a range of different roles. So, yeah, I, I think it is an interesting one. But obviously, being quite early on in his career, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for him to specialise in one role. Maybe, mm. maybe, maybe he doesn't have to specialise in one specific area mm. and have a few different... Uh, he obviously has a lot of athletic ability and he's he's proven himself to be quite good in the final third already. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's definitely one to watch and he's probably a more obvious shout because he plays for Arsenal and we all know, you know better than anyone that um, Arsenal youngsters do get a lot of hype around them yeah. um, that might not necessarily be well-placed. But I think with Saka, that's uh, definitely not the case. Yeah, I think uh, wherever he ends up positionally, I think he'll be quality for Arsenal. Um, but it's, yeah. it's you know, it, it's one of those things. Like, Matt, I, I think probably of all the guys that we've spoken about so far, you've probably watched Bukayo Saka most, mostly because I've probably shoved him down your throat. <laughs> what are your thoughts about him? Uh, yeah, he's, he's another uh, fine young player. It's funny, too, because he's actually on the cover of the upcoming Sky to Football magazine. Yeah. So he's been profiled in that, which I'm sure, if, you yeah. know, uh, many people listening here, I'm sure, Reese, you've, you've come across them quite a bit, too. Um, yeah, he's he's a player that a lot of Arsenal fans are definitely excited about. Um, you know, there's there's quite a, quite a list. I know uh, I talked to Pet earlier in the year. I did a, a profile piece for International Champions Cup, and we were going back and forth over some of these players that uh, Arsenal have coming up. And uh, obviously, Saka was one of the first names that came to mind. Um, when you throw him with the guys like Martinelli, I mean, I think you know if Arsenal can do this the right way, they give that opportunity to these young players. Uh, you know, there is an opportunity for. Um, you know, Arsenal too, maybe part with Aubameyang or Lacazette, and, you know, turn that money elsewhere. I think we're st- going to probably start to see, and you guys can correct me on this, Arsenal, tr- yes, they'll spend where they need to spend, but more or less, I think they're really going to try, try and put a little bit more trust in the players that they have coming through their academy. I think they are going to be leaning a lot on youth coming forward. Mm. Um, I know they got Saliba coming over um, in the summer after his loan move. So you're starting to see uh, what a Mikel Arteta team could look like, and I think it'll be um, it, it have a, a really healthy injection of a lot of young players like Saka. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly hope you're right, Matt, because uh, <laughs> it'd be great to see a lot of the guys coming out of the academy and, and, and doing really well for Arsenal. Reese, any, any final thoughts on Saka before we move on? Yeah, I, well, I was just going to mention there, you're talking about Arsenal in more general terms. I think 
quite a lot of it probably depending on Arteta and what mm. vision he has because obviously the Unai Emery uh, era didn't go as planned. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think Arteta didn't really have much time, did he, since um, yeah. I think he took over, was it late December time? Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he didn't have too much time to, he kind of almost had to hit the ground running, didn't he? So, we, we yeah, we're yet to see what an Arteta team looks like for Arsenal, but there is plenty of work to do. And if Saka, uh, like Matt's mentioned there, if Saka and a few other youngsters can be, at the centre of that, I think um, as there is some reason to be optimistic. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I guess we'll move on to the next one. Yep. Um, next is another British player, actually, Harvey Barnes at Leicester. Um, and I think, he, he, in a way, he is a bit similar to David Brooks in the way he's, um, he's an attacking midfielder. He's versatile. He can play off the left, off the right, through the middle as well. Um, but he's, he's not the quickest player and he's not the, uh, he, he's good technically, but he's not going to set the world on fire on his own. So he needs to, I think he needs to be in a team um, like he is at the moment with the players like um, James Madison, uh, Jamie Vardy and Yuri Tillemans as well. I think he's really good in a strong sort of um, attacking setup where there's a good bit of balance between defence and attack. Um, and he's, he's like it's similar to Brooks. He's one of those players that I really enjoy watching, um, just because he's he floats in and out of areas. He's pretty good in the final third, and I, he's obviously an English talent as well, which is obviously um, exciting for um, future years to come for England. But um, I think an interesting thing for Barnes will be the fact that he he's only really been in Leicester's first team for about a year now. Um, so he's pretty early on in his development if he can continue that great but um, you've obviously got James Madison's been linked with a move away Jamie Vardy's uh, not getting any younger so he might have to start to shoulder some more creative responsibility and by that time we'll see if uh, Leicester have a team that can uh, still challenge for the top four obviously they've had a good campaign this year but um, yeah I think Barnes will be a pretty key figure in trying to keep Leicester in those uh, Champions League places, really. Yeah, and statistically, he's, he's one that really pops to mind for me because I think his, I'm looking at his kind of, um, if you look at his GNA per 90, uh, if you exclude substitute appearances, you're looking at uh, 0.64 uh, goals or assists per 90 minutes, which is pretty good for a guy his age and pretty good, as you said, for a player that isn't the, the focal point of the team. Yeah, definitely. And I, uh, yeah, those um, the per 90 stats are quite interesting because they do give you insight into how a player could play if they, for, like Barnes as an example, if they played week in, week out. Um, obviously, he he doesn't play 90 minutes every week, but I think he's on his way to doing that. So yeah. it, it remains to be seen if he can maintain those sorts of levels. I think there probably will be a bit yeah. of a dip um, because assists in themselves, the very nature of an assist is you're very reliant on the goal scorer yeah. to hit the back of the net. So if you look a bit deeper at expected assists and things like that, passes to the penalty area, he still shows up well well in them. Mm. Um, so if he can become, if he can continue his development that he's already shown, I, I see no reason why he can't um, kick on and become a really uh, top player in the Premier League. Awesome. Uh, who have you got next for us? Um, Next is Richarlison, um, mm. who the the under twenty three bracket always uh, throws me off a bit because under twenty three to me sounds like you have to be under the age of twenty three. <laughs> um, but, but with a lot of youth teams, you have um, 
players who were under 23 at the start of the season. So I've gone by that basis. And Richarlison uh, only turned 23 last month. So he just about snuck in. Um, but the reason I put him in is because he, he's a really, he's that sort of player who I don't think gets the recognition he deserves. I'm not quite sure why that is. I think part of it might be due to the fact that he's played in the Premier League for a number of seasons now, but he's still really young um, and he's got a lot of development to come. And But he did move from uh, Watford back in, I think it's 2018 for 35 million. Um, and that's quite a lot of money for a youngster. I think he was 20 at the time. Um, but I think he's dealt quite well with the pressure. I think um, with Angelotti coming in now, you really start to see the best of him um, on a more consistent basis um, alongside Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well, who I very nearly put in the list instead of him. Um, but I think they're an interesting duo because you don't see many strikers um, in a 4-4-2 anymore. And obviously Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin have been quite successful at that this season. Um, despite it being quite an inconsistent campaign campaign for Everton. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops under a world-class manager like Angelotti, who, by the way, I still can't quite uh, get my head around the fact that Angelotti's <laughs> gone to Everton. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I think a lot for a lot of people he'll go under the radar in terms of um, young talents because he's the idea of being young means you're relatively unproven. But I think he's a pretty proven striker in the Premier League so um, I'm obviously a, a Liverpool fan so I don't want to put any bias out there against Everton but his his future development could very much depend on how Everton do as a club and whether he'll have to move um, to you know become a top top striker so to speak. Um, I don't know to what extent he can do that at Everton in the current climate it depends how long Angelotti stays there but I think the fact that Angelotti's, I don't think he's stayed at a club for more than two or three seasons, has he? Mm. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, comes back on the return of fixtures um, next week. Because obviously they've got the uh, Merseyside derby on, I think it's next Sunday, isn't it? Mm. And then um, going past that as well into next season as well and how Angelotti uh, gets the best out of him. Yeah. I mean, Matt, maybe you can speak to more a little bit about uh, Ancelotti's ability with young players, because I think we've we've debated a bit on, on this podcast before about whether or not Ancelotti is kind of in decline. I, I personally think he is as a manager, even though he's probably still a very good one. What are your thoughts, Matt? Is is he the right guy to maybe take the likes of Richarlison forward and, and develop them into world-class stars? Or do you envision seeing a guy like Richarlison move to a, to a Chelsea or, or a club of that stature? Well, Angelotti is fascinating too, right? Because I think you know everyone's going to hold him to the the standard that he for which he accomplished at, at Milan, right? You know, obviously the big uh, the Christmas tree formation, the Champions League trophies, all the success he had at Milan. Um, you know, obviously he went to Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and with some mixed results. And I think it was at the time of his Bayern Munich sacking that I think everyone or most people were like, uh, maybe he's not cut out for the, cl- the club level, at least at a big club, right? And then he went to Napoli. Everyone had a lot of hopes up for them to maybe be the anti-Juve. And then that didn't go according to plan because there was some sort of row between him and the ownership. But I think everyone who knows Ancelotti by now knows he's um, a different manager. He's not this really fiery personality that you'll see on the touchline, like a pep or like, you know, trying to, you know, direct all these players in game and stuff like that. He's a, he's a, he's a, a man manager, he's a great man manager. And I think that's something that, you know, yes, you maybe want a certain um, coaching style, coaching philosophy for 
um, young players, maybe that's different for veteran players, right? But I think at the same time, when you have a young player like Rich Olsen, who is still growing, um, to your point, guys, you know, he's still a young kid. And I think, you know, we talk about, um, you know, players like under 23, you know, Reese, you mentioned, you know, maybe players that are unproven, but this is a player that's uh, probably the future, um, you know, striker up front. I, I would argue for Brazil, he's already had some pretty good success for them. He's uh, steadily growing as a player um, for Everton. I think Ancelotti is maybe the type of manager um, that can show him how to be um, a, not, a, not, a more prof- how to, not a better professional. I think it's the wrong way to put it because when people hear that, they think, well, maybe he's got you know, attitude issues or something like that. And I'm not saying that. But there's, uh, there, there comes a time and place to have a manager, in my opinion, like an Ancelotti, who can kind of show you the ropes, how to um, you know, maybe handle yourself, control yourself on the field, do certain things, and, and ultimately develop young players because I think – Look, he's, you know, maybe he's not cut out to be a coach at another big club now, but maybe what you're starting to see with him at Everton is that he's having that that ability to tap into uh, exciting projects with a lot of young talent that are on the rise, and he is that type of manager where he can kind of create that sort of comfort zone for a young player to thrive uh, without thrusting them with so much pressure. So I, I think it's a really good fit here, and I think overall, um, in the early stages of the Ancelotti era at Everton there seems to be a really good fit here. And I don't think, again, many people expected it to be Everton. I, you know, there was all this discussions with Arsenal and other clubs, I remember. Um, and then he goes to Everton and everyone's like, uh, I don't know about this, but you can start to see Everton really start to take shape under his, under his reign. And I think Richarlison could be one of those players that really does benefit. I would say that he's probably best suited just to stay for another year. Um, I know, you know, we, we talked about this in previous episodes at length, how a lot of these young players tend to just say, okay, well, I'm moving on. I'm going to move to the next project. And, and they just kind of continue that career path. But Richarlison, I think, has so much growth under his belt. And, you know, many ways he can be a player that builds some, a, a similar sort of legacy, I would argue, to what Lukaku did. Where, you know, look, you go upstate for a handful of years, you score, you, you, uh, you, you secure yourself as one of the top players in your position in football. And then those moves will always be there at 25, 26, which is when you're in the smack dead of your, of your, of your prime year. So uh, the future is definitely bright for Richarlison. And I'm looking forward to see how he does for both uh, club and country moving forward. Awesome. Well, uh, moving slightly away from the Premier League, uh, Reese, I think you're going to profile someone from La Liga. Yeah, so I've got Mohamed Salazu, who's obviously going to be playing in La Liga for the next uh, however many games there are this season. But he's, um, I read reports the other day that he's agreed to move to Stade Rennes in La Liga. Mm. Uh, not La Liga, like, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> which I think will be quite an interesting move. I think um, Rennes have become quite uh, well known for their uh, shrewd recruitment in recent years. They've signed some pretty right uh, youngsters and um, you've obviously got Kamaviga who's come through the academy um, you've got Moasa is it a left back mm. um, and a few other bright uh, young players so I think if he's if Ren are trying to sign him for I think it was 12 million the fee that uh, was a, what reported in the papers if that, that is true I think it will be quite um, an interesting move and a sign that he's heading in the right direction as well because he's playing in La Liga at the moment he's in a play for a mid-table club but if he can move to Ren, who've got um, Champions League football next season there's no reason why he can't really kick on um, I, I'm not sure there's huge expectation of Ren in the Champions League so it, it, it might be a bit of a, um, a free hit for him in some ways when it comes to playing in a big European competition which you don't really get at a young age um, but yeah he's, he's an 
in terms of personal traits, he's a really impressive um, central defender. He's good at carrying the ball, which is obviously a trait you have to have if you want to play at the top level. And I think he's got all the physical attributes to be a really good defender as well. I think he's still quite raw at the moment in his early development. Um, but if he can continue to uh, develop, and um, there's no reason why he can't become a really impressive defender. And I think um, a move to Ren instead of a move to uh, uh, maybe like Arsenal or uh, somewhere like that, where you're going to get a lot more pressure. I think um, playing for a club like Ren is definitely a good shout for him. Yeah, I think that's probably the next kind of step. I think his agent was drumming up noise about Arsenal and, and a few other top clubs, but it seems like a, a natural step for him uh, from a, a, a team like Valladolid is going to be a team of that kind of Ren stature, potentially um, a team in Germany as well. But uh, I suppose that could be a good progressional step for him. I mean, speaking of Germany, the next guy is probably coming to the fray a bit more into the public eye since Bundesliga was the only, or the first league that came back. Uh, but he certainly has a bright future ahead of him, isn't it? Marcus Thuram. Yeah, I yeah, I just find it a bit, um, not irritating, but it's a little the, the, there's a little bit of shine taken off and under under the radar player when they eventually come into uh, the mainstream because obviously um, part of writing about football and doing data analysis is that you are trying to find the next uh, big big star, so to speak. So the fact that Turam's a really well-known name now means that I've lost a bit of um, <laughs> a lot of bit a little bit of currency around mentioning him and all of that. But um, yeah, he he has been really good on the return of Bundesliga. Um, and he was quite good before that as well. He's had a pretty good breakthrough season there. Um, and he came from uh, Guignon last season, who finished bottom of Liga. So it's a really good piece of business from Mönchengladbach there. And he's got there's a really good setup with Marco Rosa, who's obviously quite an, an exciting young coach. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how um, he continues his development because he's if, for anyone who hasn't seen him, he's quite a physically impo- imposing forward who. He does play off the left, but he's interchanged quite a bit with um, Alison Player this season. So um, he's really developed his um, ability centrally as well. So I think he, he could be a good uh, centre forward as well as playing off the left. Um, um, and he's, I think he's got quite a few goals this season as well. It's quite a fine balance between um, him, Player and Briel and Bolo as well, mm. uh, with Lars Stindl just in behind them. So, yeah, so he's a really... Um, exciting sort of player to watch because he's quite um he's not the most uh polished article obviously having um only played a couple of uh seasons in a top league but i think he's uh those sorts of players are quite exciting to watch at times aren't they because you, mm. you get a bit of unpredictability you get you don't get that quite finished article but sometimes that's quite fun to watch and he's been in good form and I, I see no reason why he can't continue that. I think one thing that will maybe uh, hinder his development is if this uh, Gladbach side doesn't stick together because they've got mm. quite a few uh, quite a few young players that I could have put in there actually. Um, obviously you've got um, Nico Alveldi at the back who I think is 23 still mm. um, and left back Ben Sinebi or I, I don't know Yeah, Ben Savini, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Florian Neuhaus and Dennis Zakaria as well, who always show up, Zakaria especially, he always shows up quite well in the data. He's quite good um, in terms of ball recovery and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think for Turam, he's he's only going to get better. I think the extent to which he does get better and maybe um, make that move to a side like um, 
I don't know if Munchen um, Glad back to Dortmund is quite a quite an established um, path. I know I know a few players have made that sort of move. Morgan Hazard, for example, yeah, yeah, and then you've got um, Julian Brandt as well, who moved from Leverkusen last season. So I even think, Marco Royce actually come to think. Yeah, of I think that was twenty twelve, wasn't it? It's was quite yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got those sorts of uh, players. I think maybe that Dortmund move might be good. Um, mm. He, yeah, he's only one year into his contract at the moment, so the likelihood of him moving anytime soon is pretty minimal, which I think is probably a, good, a blessing in disguise, really, because there's no reason to uh, change anything now if he's just started to hit the ground, really, in the Bundesliga, and I think it's the sort of league that he's well-suited to. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see how he continues his development over the next uh, season or two. Well, Reese, I think you mentioned that he might not leave after one year into his contract, but he does have a agent that seems to love moving his assets around. Matt, a guy that you know very well that's close to your heart, Emino Raiola. You've obviously watched a bit of Marcus Turam. Is he a guy that is, you know, as his stock rises, will Mino be trying to pull strings in the background? 100%. I think he's, he's the type of agent who is he's very um, convincing. He's a, he's a, he's a, he does an agent look, whether you like him or love him, I think he's great at what he does. I think you know, many people uh, get caught up in the emotional side of transfers, um, myself included. I know when uh, Donnarumma was uh, initially not going to sign a new contract back in 2017, I was furious with Mina Raiola. <laughs> All the antics they pulled on social media together. Um, but look, at the end of the day, you know, if you're a player, you know who you're choosing to represent you. And when you choose that representation, you know that you have the ability for um, you know, bigger wages, uh, much more um, power, negotiation power, because you know that, uh, look, he's, he's a very um, enticing um, you know, agent to have in your corner, right? So I, when I look at Thuram, I think he's just one of those players that's tailor-made for uh, the next step, whether it be this summer, whether it be next summer, that remains to be seen. But um, what the Bundesliga restart has given me and many others is the ability to watch some of these players that, um, you know, besides Sancho, besides Brandt, besides uh, Holland, which everyone knew before before this year. But I think guys like Thuram, who are, are really getting the node riding opportunity to be uh, front and center and, and, and really just you kind of carve out a nice little, um, you know, following for themselves. And, and that's a lot of good publicity and attention for a potential move. I, I think Thuram is a player that's going to be destined for the next step. I'm not going to say it's, you know, it's going to be like a top three, four club in a league, but I think you can see him kind of follow that same trajectory of maybe a, a Muchen Gladbach to maybe a, you know, Borussia Dortmund or someone like that. You know, it's, it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to see a guy like Holland, um, you know, gone in two years and then a player like Thuram kind of come in. I think that's kind of how more or less the, um, you know, the, the career path tends to work, right? It's typically not just a massive jump up unless you're just, you know, once in a generation type player with Mbappe and, you know, Sancho and so on and so forth. But as far as it goes with just Mino Raiola, I think Look, this is something that you have to expect, right? If you're a fan of Mujin Glabach, if you're a fan of Milan with Donnarumma, you're a fan of whoever um, who has a top player represented by Mino Raiola, that always has to play in the back of your mind is that he's, he's out to get the best deal for his client. <laughs> and he's, and he's out, also out for his pockets because I'm sure he's earned quite a bit of commissions throughout the year. So that's just something you have to brace, embrace and, and expect in the, in the modern game is that that's, players are, are assets. They can be moved quite easily. 
Yeah, so certainly so. And the guy who's, you know, top one, two, three uh, super agents out there, Minarola will definitely be looking to move Marcus Turam on at some point or get him a massive contract at Gladbach. Let's see. But the next guy that you're going to speak about, Reese, has actually been linked to both United and Arsenal this morning by Christoph Tura, who's probably the best authority from a Belgian football standpoint. Uh, it's Jonathan David, isn't it? Yeah, right. And he um, he's a player I've written about uh, recently, actually. And I think he's a real interesting talent in terms of he's playing in the Belgian top flight, but he, he looks like he's way past that standard already in terms of being able to go to a league like the Premier League or Bundesliga and really hit the ground running there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think he's that sort of player who, again, like a few of the others I mentioned, has that sort of versatility to be able to play in a number of roles. I know he's played kind of as a second secondary striker or um, third striker, really, because I know um, Ghent play a 4-1-2-1-2 uh, um, formation and he plays just behind the two strikers. So he's uh, he's really involved in attack and I think he likes to get forward a lot, but he's also quite tactically aware and will drop deep if he needs to in terms of picking up possession um and when I originally started to research him I, I found a few links um a few people mentioning he's got similarities to Roberto Firmino and if he could come to Liverpool and play that sort of role um I, I think that's a bit of a stretch at the moment but I think it, it yeah it's a testament to his the quality and the potential he's shown already that he's getting those sorts of links uh, it's interesting you mentioned there about um, him being linked with a move to the Premier League. So I think he said a few weeks ago that he wanted, he saw the Bundesliga as his next uh, natural progression, which to me screamed that he was going to move to Borussia Dortmund or <laughs> RB Leipzig, um, two clubs obviously renowned for picking up talent outside the uh, top five leagues. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he moves. I would quite like to see him um, in the Bundesliga, because I think, um, like I mentioned earlier with Arsenal, I think uh, moving to a Premier League club when you're quite young can sometimes be detrimental in terms of the amount of pressure put on you and that sort of thing. Um, but then again, the Bundesliga is a is a, uh, a major step up from the Belgian top flight. So it'll be interesting to see, A, where he does move um, and B, uh, how he does when he gets there, because... Uh, like you say, with links to Arsenal and Man United, I'm struggling to think of any players who haven't been linked to <laughs> So, um, I, for me personally, I see the Bundesliga as the next move. Um, yeah, it just all depends. I, I guess that will come at the end of this uh, Bundesliga season because I know the Belgian top flight has been um, has been curtailed now. So, um, yeah, we'll see where he ends up. But, it, yeah, I guess it's exciting to see him uh, linked with Premier League clubs as well. That gives us something to think about, doesn't it? Yeah, I do like that the fact about him the most is that he's very two-footed, isn't he? And the pace he possesses is frightening and a, and a far better pass than I think people give him credit for. Matt, you've obviously been following him uh, relatively well as he's a North American talent. Uh, how much do you know about Jonathan David? Um, I've, I've known quite a bit. I've done my research and I've just kind of watched him a little more closely. Um, you know, the past, I would say, half year when he started to come to... Uh, come to the forefront and you know, with him and uh, Alfonso Davies, I think, you know, uh, 
Canada fans have something very, very much to be happy <laughs> about and very excited about. No, because I think, look, I think for a while, you know, everyone's kind of given, um, you know, it's kind of been Mexico, the U.S. Um, in, in the North American spotlight, right? I think, you know, we all know the talent that um, those two nations have. But I think Canada seemed to kind of always fall to the backdrop. And I think, you know, up until a couple of years, I think you're maybe starting to see a little bit of a, a light at the end of the tunnel here, right? You know, I think CONCACAF, I'm just speaking mostly on, uh, you know, international front here for just a moment, because I think you guys did a great job talking about um, what he can be doing um, at the club level. When I see, you know, a player like uh, David, you know, having the success he's having, I think it gives a lot of positivity to what maybe Canada's building behind the scenes and then people start to kind of dig deeper. Well, maybe Canada has more of these players coming, right? And for me, I think it only just, you know, it just makes it that much more exciting, right? You know, to have a nation that uh, maybe often gets overlooked, to have, you know, one of the best left-back talents in football in Alfonso Davies, having one of the best young attacking talents and one highly sought after um, in Jonathan David. And look, it's going to be uh, interesting to see the focus on those two moving forward and see if those, are, those two players are enough to maybe get Canada into a position to qualify for a World Cup. I don't have that off the top of my head um, when the last time they qualified for a World Cup, but I think that would be very exciting to be those two uh, young, attacking, uh, young attacking slash um, you know, defensive players at the forefront of that project. But yeah, as far as it goes with David and just his, his career, I, I agree. I think Reese, you, you hit the nail on the head. His his, his, I think he knows his next move. And a lot of these young players, they kind of already know like where they want to be at what age, what the, what their, their path looks like. And I, I applaud a lot of these players who are not like, Oh, I'm doing really well here. Well, not my next move wants to be Real Madrid or my next move wants to be just this <laughs> massive mega club where I won't get the proper minutes and the proper time to, to grow. You know, you take it one step at a time, and you know if you kind of you start to get that proper nurturing in a, in a, in a suitable environment for your for your skill set and your ability, you'll you'll those moves will eventually be there. And I think David has a good head on his shoulders. He knows what he wants. He knows where he'll be. And you know that's that's just very exciting for us as as football fans to kind of track that growth. Awesome. Yeah, that, I, oh, sorry, Ray, I, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. that I I I agree with Matt there. I think you you do see now a lot of youngsters sort of making better informed decisions about where they're going to put their next move and they seem to be taking a bit more of a gradual path to the top uh, which I do like to see and David um, I think it was only two years ago he came over from Canada um, to uh, Belgium so yeah he's had quite a, a rapid progression to uh, now being linked with the likes of Man United and Arsenal and all of those teams but I'd, I'd quite like to see him um, in a team like RB Leipzig if um, if Timo Werner does eventually sign for Chelsea, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. But um, I think that sort of move would be quite an interesting one for his next one, or even to um, mention Gladbach. I'm not sure. I think the guy we'll talk about next um, shows that there's quite a chain of events that goes on when uh, we're, we're looking at youngsters and where they might end up. Well, you, you've teed that up quite well, so why don't you go straight into him? Yeah, so it's Pat Sundaka at um, Red Bull Salzburg, and I think he's... Uh, He's another one like um, David, who I think would be really suited to uh, moving to the Bundesliga in terms of he's quick, he's direct, and he's really good in front of goal as well. I think he scored uh, 22 league goals in 24 games this season, which is ridiculous when you consider the fact that um, Erling Haaland's been there as well and he's scored so many goals as well. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Dakar does. I think he's similar to David, he, he would be really well suited to a, a direct and a, aggressive Bundesliga sort of team. 
Um, he, I think he scored a hat-trick the other day in um, the Austrian Bundesliga, so he's hit the ground running again since the restart, and I think it's only a matter of time before we see him in a major top-five league. Um, maybe maybe the Red Bull link between Leipzig and Salzburg means that he does go there next, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we'll wait and see. I'm really excited to see him in the top league against some top opposition as well. Awesome. Uh, I think he's uh, another off that kind of uh, line. They've also got Koita there as well, don't they? I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, but they've got a lot of uh, exciting forwards. I think I saw uh, Juan is being linked to Leipzig as well as a potential replacement for um, for uh, Timo Werner at Leipzig. So it'd be interesting who they decide to bring up, I guess, from Salzburg. And if it is Pax and Daka, then they, they have probably a guy who's more suited as a number nine rather than an inside forward as Timo Werner was, but still someone that could probably um, do a very, very good job for them in terms of replacing some of the, the goal and assist output that, that Werner has obviously uh, provided this season. But do, do you think that might be too big a step up for him at Leipzig, considering the, the level... Uh, that Salzburg are playing at and, and the fact that might, he might not be proven like Haaland was at Champions League level or do you reckon that that is the, the right kind of stage for him? Yeah, I'm not too sure to be honest. I, I You make a good point there about Haaland doing it in the Champions League as well. I think um, obviously Salzburg are quite a, a well sought after club at the moment given uh, Haaland and Takumi Minamino as well moving mm. in January. So um, I'm not too sure. Um, I think it probably is the natural next step. I don't think moving to a, mm. a mid-table or relegation side is the sort of answer to progressing as a young player who's scoring a lot of goals because you, you're demanding a lot, a lot out of a player in terms of different different ways of playing, you're defending a lot more, and things like that. So, yeah, I think with a lot of Salzburg players, I think that. Uh, the two that I mentioned that moved on in January and a few more as well, I think they'll they'll kind of skip out that next step that most players make to a, a top five league, but maybe not a top sort of team. I think in Germany, you've got teams like um, Leipzig, like uh, Mönchengladbach, even Dortmund to an extent as well, that will take a gamble on a player mm. who, who might not be well proven in a in a top European environment. Yeah, but, really um, good point. As we've seen with a lot of players, in well, Jaden Sancho's the uh, case in point, really, isn't he? That if you give young players a chance, that they'll, um, if they're good enough, they'll reward you for it. And uh, what did uh, Dortmund sign Sancho for? I think it was seven or eight million, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? They, they're going to get at least a hundred million for him, I think. Um, but yeah, going back to Daka, I think he's he's a really interesting talent and one that. Um, probably deserves that move, scoring nearly a goal a game for 24 games of the season is a ridiculous <laughs> uh, return. But yeah, you do make a good point about um, the quality of the Austrian Bundesliga because I listen to uh, the other Bundesliga podcast a lot, which is they, they provide some pretty good insight on the Austrian Bundesliga and they'll be the first guys to tell you that it isn't the most uh, challenging of leagues, but it, mm. it gives you a really gives young players a really good platform to go and kick on somewhere else and Obviously, getting that place in the Champions League has brought that to light as well. Because let's not forget, if um, if Salzburg hadn't got into the Champions League this season, would we have seen Haaland or mm-hmm. Minamino moving in January? Obviously, they're very good players and they'd move eventually. But I'm not sure if they would have made the uh, the big moves that they did so early on. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting one, and Salzburg will be uh, looked at by a lot of people 
um, in the coming seasons. And I, yeah, I expect uh, Zaka to be moving along quite soon, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, certainly an interesting one. Um, but wow, who, who have you got last for us then, Reese? Yeah, so my last one is Christoph Baumer at Hoffenheim, who um, I'll, I'll openly admit I, I didn't know too much about him until uh, the Bundesliga restarted. But like you, uh, like you mentioned earlier about um, watching the Bundesliga and being able to watch players that you might not know in a bit more depth is a, it was it's been quite enjoyable. And Baumgartner today, I think it was, he got um, nominated for Player of the Month for May, um, which was alongside uh, Timo Werner. Hakimi, Havertz, Pavard and uh, Kimmich as well so he's he's there amongst some pretty big names um, and I checked his uh, FIFA card earlier on just to see what his <laughs> nomination was and he's 63 rated so it goes to show that he's quite um, he's relatively unproven but he's had, he's had quite a consistent season in the Bundesliga and he moved only moved up from the Hoffenheim second team in I think it was January 2019 so He's quite early on in his progression, but he's um, for anybody who hasn't seen him, he's a he's sort of an attacking midfielder who I think could probably play a bit further forward eventually. But he's um, he likes to make runs into the box. He's I think he's scored quite a few goals uh, and registered a few assists since the legal turn as well. So he's he's starting to prove himself in the final third. Um, but I think the question mark for him is whether this is a a run of form or whether it's a meaningful uh, progression to become a, a much better player um, but he's, he's only 20 years old so he's got plenty of development um, to be doing I think maybe one one more season at Hoffenheim next year and if he's still producing similar rates I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see him moving um, to a team like uh, Gladbach. maybe he could take over from Lars Stindl's the uh, number 10 there I, I don't know if that would be a, a move that uh, Gladbach could afford in terms of uh, financially at that time, but um, he, yeah, he's definitely an interesting player that I don't think uh, many people would have heard of unless they're big fans of the Bundesliga. But he's um, definitely one to look out for in the future. Awesome. Well, I think before we wrap up, Matt, me and you had a couple of questions for Reese before we let him go. Um, he's, uh, I, I mean, I wanted to ask actually. How important is it for teams now to be very, uh, very literate in the data and anal- analytics world? I mean, after looking at teams like uh, Brentford in the Championship, Liverpool in the Premier League, doing really, really well on not massive, massive outputs from a monetary standpoint by identifying players that, that could fit their systems really well. And, you know, statistically speaking, those players are really good compared to a team like Manchester United, who have only just hired an analytics team. How <laughs> how important is it in, in, in the modern day football? Yeah, I, I don't think you can you can overestimate how important it is now in the modern game. I don't have a huge amount of experience from the club point of view, but from um, a media point of view and from the point of view of um, external sources, I think it's only getting more important and and bigger as influential in the recruitment process. Um, Funnily enough, I work with a a Dutch data intelligence company at the moment called SciSports, who um, focus on using data to uh, draw up shortlists for um, teams. Uh, They work alongside clubs to identify targets for certain positions and things like that. And some of the stuff they do, I, I only write an article a week for them on their uh, on their website, looking at different players from a data point of view. But um, 
some of the stuff they're doing really does blow my mind and um i think it's only going to get more influential and you've got guys on twitter like market insights as well who have come together that i think it's five or six of them that are um have all become big um big advocates of data and recruitment and they they now specialize in it with clubs as well so it's really great to see um people use their platform from twitter as well to be able to build up that sort of reputation and then get into the get into um the game as well and become more data literate in terms of working alongside clubs and eventually affecting what goes on on the pitch because every fan wants to pay to see the the best teams don't they and Mm. like like you mentioned about Liverpool there I'm biased because I'm a a Liverpool fan but um some of the work they've done with data really is great and I think I think they've proven that the more simple you can keep it the more effective it's eventually going to be because it's something that you could you could easily get tangled up in um within a matter of minutes of looking at a spreadsheet trying to make a visualization or even trying to make sense of different metrics um, and how to apply them to players but if you can keep it simple and you can get proper insights about what you're looking at that's when you're going to really start to see some rewards and I think if we see Brentford um, get through obviously the championships restarting on uh, next weekend isn't it so if they can uh, stay in the playoff places or even push for that final automatic spot um, and take West Brom out of that I think seeing them in the Premier League would be a really interesting insight again into a, a more um a more budgeted way of using data in terms of you've got Brentford B they don't have an academy set up so they're, they they're they're revolutionizing the way that data is used to an extent in the uh in the championship especially because uh the top leagues around Europe are using data a lot more than I'd say um lower league sides are who are becoming more sophisticated in it now but if we could see a team like Brentford in the Premier League I think that would be um, really interesting to see if we could get more insights into how they use um, mm. different tools and things like that. Reese, I was gonna. I, I think you you kind of you started leaning in towards what I was gonna ask you. Um, you know, from your experience so far, and really what you just know about analytics and sports data. Um, you know, currently, do you find that you know from what you see um, from one club compared to the other, or from maybe one analyst like yourself to another? that maybe too much data, too much information is sometimes a bit problematic um, and, and can maybe cloud with the actual importance of, um, kind of diminish the importance of some other pieces of data. And what I mean by that is I've, I've found that I see a lot of people that will think by shoving data or shoving certain stats or analytics into like a piece or a, a video, right? I know we're kind of in videos right now. Um, we just did our, our launch our YouTube channel this past week, but you know, do you find that there's some people that are maybe supplying too much data that's maybe not um, enhancing the conversation or enhancing their argument or their point? Um, and as a follow-up to that, do you think that there's maybe certain clubs that are starting to get into analytics and have an analytics department like a Manchester United um, that you guys mentioned that they'll maybe struggle a little bit because I think, you know, they're still trying to see which data, which information is important and more and should be prioritized over others. Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is that you could have all the data in the world, but it's how you use it is the most important mm-hmm. thing and applying it in the right context and that sort of thing. And the strange thing about data is that there's not always a right answer it's all down to interpretation Mm. in terms of how you use things what insights do you get out of it so that's when you see the likes of uh liverpool brentford leipzig um 
uh, Dortmund as well to an extent really come to the fore in terms of how they render their insights and how they apply them to foot, how how they apply it to things on the pitch. And one of the things I've started to develop a bit of a niche in in, in terms of writing is applying using the skill of being able to apply those stats to what people see in real life. Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Is that we're, we all want to watch football. We don't want to be reading data, set, data sets uh, <laughs> all the time. So um, yeah, it is about trying to, trying to normalise it and using it to an extent. But um, one of the first things I would say is that the data can be great, but it has to lead you to watching a player on video or watching them live and mm-hmm. really seeing how that... Um, that data sort of applies to what happens on the pitch because you could read that someone's making, I don't know, 3.5 passes to the penalty area per 90, but what does that actually mean? Where is Where are those passes being received? Are they being received on the penalty spot? Are they right in the corner of the penalty area where, you, where a striker's not necessarily going to score? It's all about using data as a starting point and then developing it from there in terms of making sure that you get the proper insights and that you're, you're becoming better informed of what you see on the pitch and not necessarily using one or the other, but using one and then letting it lead you to the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Liverpool or just the Liverpool ownership in general, I think their vision for analytics and hard data has been there for uh, years. I think, you know, I, here in the States, I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan. So I know, obviously, uh, the Red Sox, you know, they've won, they've had such great success um, these past, you know, dozen years and same ownership, but the same kind of philosophy they start to really get in baseball in general has really um, started to get a lot more in depth with analytics. And some of these teams have made a living off that, you know, they get the same concept, right? There may be a feeder team that develops great talent, but for one way or another, they find a way through analytics uh, to recruit the next player or to build a a winning ball club. So I think there's many parallels to be drawn between those two um, sports. And I think that's something we also touched on uh, pet, and Reese in our previous episode um, with Maxi, who's also a Liverpool fan. So we kind of really you know, dug in deep and emphasized the importance of what Liverpool are doing on that side and why they're having such prolonged success with it. So they found that right balance to your point, Reese, is to um, interpret the data and sift through it and find what data is most important for them versus having too much and just trying to, you know, base it off everything they got and then try to get a result. So um, yeah, it's definitely gonna be fascinating. I'm sure this is gonna be something that continues to develop. Um, and I'm sure you're going to be coming on soon to give us the updates on that. (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd probably add that one of the most important things is having, you could have the best analytics team in the world, but if you don't have a manager who's willing to take on that information, you're not, it's not going to be any use, is it? So if you have a manager like Jurgen Klopp um, or someone like that, who's willing to listen and willing to have their, um, their viewpoint challenged by data to an extent because these people are football coaches aren't they so if you're having that your point of view challenged in terms of well the data's telling us this but i i'm watching the game this way why aren't they quite adding up you 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 start to create more of a relationship in terms of um making sure that it's harmonious as well so you're not just saying well this player is registered registering so many goals and this player looks good on the pitch if you're getting a blend of the two that's that's the best um that sort of combination you can have in my opinion 
Awesome. Well, Reese, I think we've we've taken up enough, taken up enough of your afternoon. So uh, we'll, we'll let you go. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I'm quite active on Twitter. That's my main space um, at underscore Reese Chambers. Um, you'll see quite a lot of my data stuff on there. I do quite a lot of threads as well, and then I share my writing as well, which is obviously the uh, the main part of the job in terms of uh, getting articles <laughs> out there. So. Yeah, um, if you are interested in that sort of thing, uh, make sure you follow me. And I apologise for any um, any Liverpool bias as well. <laughs> awesome. No, I don't think you've been biased at all. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your insights and, and sharing, us, uh, sharing with us those players. It's been really great to have you. No problem. Cheers, guys. Matt, where can people find about you and us before we leave us? We leave everyone. Sure. Uh, much like Reese, I am on Twitter heavily at Matt underscore Santangelo. Heavily, 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 I like heavily, that. <laughs> laying it down there, right? Um, but yeah, follow the podcast at State of Play Pod, of course. Uh, follow us on Instagram at State of Play Pod. Same thing. We just created that. Facebook, we're on there as well. Same handle. And um, check out my pinned tweet on Twitter for all the information regarding the FCAs. Make sure you guys vote for us. We really do appreciate the support. Vote for us. And um, we, you know, we definitely look forward to getting more YouTube content out there. And check out the first video that Pep put together uh, regarding Jaden Sancho uh, and a potential move to Manchester United. Really insightful stuff and uh, more to come from that. Awesome. Thank you very much for those kind words and thank you very much for plugging us. Uh, you can, yeah, as you, find, as you as Matt mentioned us, find us on most places at State of Play Pod. And you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter. So uh, yeah, check out mainly ramblings about Arsenal football and other things as well. Uh, some jokes, not on Matt's level, but hey, who knows in the next 12 months. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and have a great day.